Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Hello and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Coming up, Hamish Kerr. Hamish, we're like we're so glad that you, you did well because otherwise you would have been so grumpy. I would claim that I would I would wouldn't be grumpy for very long. But <laughs> I think I think naturally as an athlete, you'd be upset for oh, sure, hundred percent. Hamish Kerr is the goat of high jumping, New Zealand's greatest ever high jumper. As a matter of fact, last year he became the first ever New Zealand man to make it to the high jump finals at the Olympic Games, leaving Tokyo with a top ten finish. And a few months back, he won a Commonwealth Games gold with a jump of two meters and twenty five centimeters. Let's let's just let that sink in for a second. Two metres and 25 centimetres. It's probably about the height of your ceiling. I loved sitting down and having this conversation with Hamish. I learned so much about high jumping that I never knew. As usual with runners only, we talk about a whole lot of other stuff as well, so I really hope you enjoy it. Just before we get into it, I do need to apologise. There were a couple of technical difficulties with Hamish's microphone throughout this conversation. That's on me, not him. I've fixed it to the best of my ability, so hopefully it isn't too noticeable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these things happen. I, I, I get frustrated with these things when they do occur, and I am doing my best, but I am still learning week by week, so I do apologise if it's difficult to hear in parts. Just know, <laughs> just know it hurts me more than what it hurts you. All right, let's get into it. Hamish Kerr on Runners Only. Hey, Runners Only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, any way you coming up. Want to connect for everyone who loves running? This is Runners Only. Yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey. This is Runners Only with Dom Hardy. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady. Any way you coming? Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Hardy. Runners Only with Dom Harvey. And Hamish Kirk, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, the New Zealander that's jumped higher than any other New Zealander ever. You and I, just before we sat down to record this, we went uh, to the coffee shop just over the road from me, and as we were um, walking over the road, like we walked past a, a just a normal sized van, and I was thinking to myself, like with a mattress on the roof of that van, you could you could legit jump up on it. Oh, easily, mate! I could jump over it if I if I had to. <laughs> no, if you, you if you'd told me, I would have done it. Come on! No, but the, <laughs> the thing is, like the, the style of jumping you do, like it's like it's not cool. You can't jump over a van. No. You're going to land on your back. You're gonna... <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me to jump over something. <laughs> Give me 40 minutes to warm up. I'll get the shoes on. But you you do jump like ridiculously high, like two, 2.3 meters. Yeah. Yeah. So my best is 231, which I, the best way that I like to comprehend it is a door frame is 198. And then you put uh, one of those rulers that you had at school, the sort of 30 centimeter 30 ones centimeter, on sure. top of the door frame. 
and I can jump over that. It's yeah. nuts. It's <laughs> nuts. So what is a what is a jump that you can just nail every time, like with your eyes shut? Two meters? Like what's the what's the level where it starts to get tricky and you so might miss it? In competition, my starting height would be probably about two seventeen. Um, so that's again still quite high. Um, and then that's that's something that um, I probably had to get my head around this year a lot because I did a lot of uh, international comps for the first time in a while. And yeah, they just start so bloody high. So like, what are you? One point nine. I'm one ninety eight. Right, right. So I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's still very high. Still a lot higher than what than what you are. And who, the, the next best in New Zealand, what can they do? Um, there's a couple of young fellows who are coming through. You can do sort of like maybe two hundred eight to two ten. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's why would you even bother? <laughs> nah, great guys. I train with them, so it's, it's nice to see them do. Yeah, yeah. But um, but you you are you're just that much better than anyone else in New Zealand. Like you turn up to any competition, you like with your with what you do on your first jump, you're gonna you're gonna blow everyone else out of the water, aren't you? Usually, yeah. I generally I win the competition with my first jump most times in New Zealand, and that's something that I've had to contend with a lot over the last few years, just as. You know, I'm a victim of my own success. I've I've gotten better and better, and the the thrill of winning or like beating people has diminished so much that you kind of have to find other other things to get you going. And um, I think COVID was actually really good for that as well because I kind of had in my head in 2019. I was sort of just starting to get quite good. I jumped 230, um, uh, Oceania champs to qualify for world champs for the first time, and um, I was just in this opinion that I'd never jump high in New Zealand. I was just like, oh, you know. It never happen. Like it's too cold. There's no one ever pushing me or anything because I generally do well when there's competition. Mm. Um, and then COVID happened. The borders shut, and we had to find other ways to to get us going. And and that was really good for me because it made me kind of go back to what I enjoy about jumping and 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 kind of what I why I do the sport, what keeps me in it. And and I realized that actually like I just I just love jumping high, and it doesn't really matter where. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I was able to sort of tap into that, and I can jump quite high in New Zealand. Yeah, and 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 I I mean winning feels good, even if it's not good in terms of like driving you to be the absolute best you can be. Winning is still fucking nice. I'm oh, sure. It's always nice to be number one. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much we need to talk about. We will yeah. go way back. We, there's the Commonwealth Games gold medal that we need to talk about. The tenth at the Olympic Games. Yeah. First of all, um, what's your relationship with running? You were, I believe, you were quite a good runner before you discovered high jump. Yes, yeah, so I do qualify for runners only podcast. Um, <laughs> I do run from time to time. No, I. Um, I got into athletics as like a 1500, 800 meter runner. And for me, I, yeah, I loved running. Um, I think it was because my dad and my sister came out with me a lot, just go for jogs up Mount Eden and, and sort of around Cornwall Park and places like that. And so for me, it was just like a real social thing. Um, I loved doing it. And yeah, I think like as I got older, I also did cross country in the winter. So I sort of played rugby and did cross country and sort of all the way through high school. And I sucked. Like I was so bad at it. You would have been good at like, jumping over the fences though. Wouldn't oh, you? <laughs> look, if there was a course with a fence, I was like, I am making up half a second here. Like it doesn't matter if I'm in hundredth, like I will make up that half a second. Um, so no, so it was, and, and that's funny. That's funny you say that because it was like, I would go to athletics and I would get smoked. And then at the end of the day, right at the end of the day, I'd go to the high jump and I'd come like second. It was kind of like, I was so much better at high jump than I was running from, even from a young age. But for me, that was just never really like a pathway because historically we haven't had high jumpers. We don't have anyone to sort of look up to. And, and so, yeah, so for me, it was just like, I just loved running and the high jump was just this thing that I was pretty good at, which I could do on the side of that. Yeah. And you, you still run now. Like you, you went for a run this morning before coming here. 
I did. I got smoked by my sister. So she, um, she said, come out for a run. And I was like, yeah, okay, now I can do that. Like, you know, she works full time. Like surely she, she couldn't, couldn't, you know, couldn't run be around. Exactly. But no, she, she took me out and, um, we, we did 15 Ks, which I was very proud of actually. Like that's a good distance. I, I, yeah, I, I, running's a funny one. I eh? like, I still have a lot of respect for the runners. So, so you're from, uh, Auckland. You live in Christchurch now. Um, you had to relocate down there because that's where your coach lives. How do you find it? How do you find Christchurch? You, you train like in a corner of, um, like Christchurch Boys High, right? Like, I love Auckland. Um, Auckland will kind of always be my home. And, As if your family's here, it will be, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's the people up here. But no, I like Christchurch is lovely as well. It's, it's so convenient for training. I mean, like you said, we, we train at Christchurch Boys High, which is a little strip of track. It's like 60 meters and it's got one bend and a little long jump pit and javelin runway. And that's it. And it's just on the side of the school and there's a main road right next to it. But it's real grassroots. And like, I think that's something that I love about it because our sport is real grassroots. Yeah. I think there's something super, super cool about being able to do a training there on like a Saturday morning, jumping on a plane, flying to, you know, anywhere in the world. And then suddenly you're competing against you know, these, these amazing athletes with 40,000 people watching. And it's like just the juxtaposition between those two things is yeah, super, yeah. super grounding. And yeah, it's something that, that I just love. What does an average day look like? Like I've got no idea what would be involved in high jump training, but I'm guessing it's not all jumps. We jump probably about three times a week um, when we're in quite heavy training. Um, and that's, yeah, so we do sort of three times a week jumping. We do two or three times a week in the weight room. When you say three times a week jumping, like how many jumps? Um, we do one like high intensity session. So that would be quite like a high session on like a longer run up because the longer the run up, the less jumps you can do because it's, it's more force, um, involved in the takeoff. So we do quite a lot of like short run up stuff. Sorry, I'm going to have to stop you so many times here just to ask for clarification (laughs) on things. From clips I've seen, it looks like nine, maybe nine steps, nine steps and then over head and back first. So is that a, is that a long run up, a short run up, standard run up? So that's my long run up. Right. Um, oh, it's not that long, mate. Get it, no, it's not. It's not. So I've got one of the shortest run ups on tour, but um, <laughs> that's just the way. Yeah, that's just the way I do it. So uh, we do a lot of like three stride and five stride stuff in training, just because we can kind of mimic the same positions as a full run up, but it doesn't take as much out of your body. So yeah, we might do twenty of those in a session, but if I was doing full run ups, like a big session would be like six jumps. Really. Why? Why does it just uh, does it does it start to hurt your back? Does it just take? What, when- it's it's ankles mainly. Pretty much like when you're taking off, there's about I think it's like six to ten times your body weight goes through your leg, so that's a lot of force when you're running. You know, if you're a, an eighty kg person and you've got something like eight hundred kgs of force going through your your leg, you can't really sustain that more than about six times before something just pops. So yeah, for for us, it's kind of trying to balance how much training we need to do to get like the technique and then the the speed and the power and all that stuff. We don't actually do a lot of that in the jumping. It's more mm. like that's why we do gym and that's why we do running to, to try and increase that stuff. Yeah. And then we just sort of try and apply it to the jump right at the end. That surprises me. And I suppose this is a credit to you, but like if I watch you jump, especially if it's in slow motion, it looks, it looks like you're gliding. It's graceful and it's beautiful and it's flowing but it does make a lot of sense that six jumps would be the maximum because there's a there's a fucking lot going on isn't there there's a oh, lot yeah. of movements in your brain is it just um like muscle memory and second nature now or are you still thinking so when when i'm in training i think a lot like i'm i'm thinking about my positions and my cues and what i'm trying to do and and in training like it friggin' hurts like you know a bad jump hurts 
But then that's what I love about competing is that when you what, get to compete, what is it just because if you're in the wrong, if you're in the wrong position or like something isn't quite right, or you're trying to change something and you sort of like, if you're trying to change like a position on my curve, for example, because we, we run in sort of like a bit of a J shape. So we've got the, the first bit of the run up, which is like, you're trying to generate speed and then you hit the curve. And then that's you trying to like generate a body position in order to be able to take off. And then what that will do is that will give you the amount of lean to, propel yourself over the bar, but then also give yourself enough rotation to be able to go over the bar backwards. And so that's why we have to do it in a bit, a bit of a curve. But if you're trying to change like the angle of that curve or how deep it is, there's always going to be unintended consequences of that. So I might, you know, my coach might say, okay, like just try and run a bit harder and a bit deeper, but then you get to the takeoff and you're in the wrong position. And then like, it just goes all through your leg, just jars something. That amount of force if you move your leg a little bit and it's not conditioned to it, can hurt. And what sort of heights are we talking about for these training sessions? I'd be happy if I was jumping like 210 to 220. Um, I don't jump as high as I do in competition, although um, I have had a couple of sessions where I've been really, really high and, and quite close to my personal best, which is exciting. But yeah, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, when I get into competition, like you said, I look like I'm gliding, I look like I'm flying, and mm. I am. Um, and, it, and it feels so effortless and, and nice because I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just I'm just jumping. Mm. Um, and yeah, those are the, the jumps I really do it for. Yeah. By the way, I, I do need to apologize for all the dumb questions I've got about high jump. But oh, that's right. I'm I reckon, sure. I reckon myself and 99.9% of people. I going to say, all your listeners are, are high jump experts, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the amazing thing about high jump is it's one of those sports that every single New Zealander gets to have a go at, right? Even at primary school. You know, because there's sports that, that you might be good at, but you never know, like pole vault. Mm. Like, who gets to try pole vault? And the thing, the thing that I love about it as well is like, I feel like. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but like, I feel like it's the easiest event to compare. Yeah. But if you say I jumped two meters, 30 centimeters, people know what two meters looks like. And so they go, wait, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. Mm. How do you do that? Yes, I'm guessing most people that, that listen to this podcast wouldn't have done more than like the, the scissor jump. No. Which is what you do from <laughs> primary school. And you do, yeah. now you do the one called the, the is it Fosbury, Fosbury the flop? Fos, Fosbury flop. Fosbury, named yeah. after, Dick Fosbury. Uh, who was like a, an American dude in the 50s? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he, um, he kind of like, was like he was like real into high jump but like wasn't quite good enough to make the teams and stuff and and i think yeah i don't know the full story but essentially he just like figured out one day he's like wait why are we jumping like this um they were doing a thing called the straddle at that time which is sort of like you take off from the other side and do this weird thing where you like roll over it like all at one. yeah it's, <laughs> is the clips online and, yeah 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 and it's like <laughs> like people were like brand, like blowing out their knees and it just it looks ugly as yeah. like I've never tried it, but I don't think I'd want to. So yeah, so he just he just changed it up and pretty quickly like after that. That's how you do it. So he, he was never like the best, but his legacy is having this jump named after him that yeah, everyone's he was, still using today. He was pretty like he was pretty bloody good. Like I think he he probably got up to about two thirty and like he wasn't like getting like te- technical coaching for it. Like he was just doing it. He was just kind of making it up. <laughs> um, on another thing, this might be a dumb question. Why don't you wear like cycling gear or something? You know what I mean? Like a skin tight top or like if you, bike shorts. Yeah, this is, that's it. I actually get asked it quite a bit. So we, we wear, some people wear tight, tight shorts. Um, I prefer split shorts. Just, well, especially if it's. You've got the legs. So. Oh, exactly, mate. You've got you to gotta show the pins, um, which is obviously the main reason. But no, I think it's kind of one of those things that like if you're. The, the fabric, like if you're going to knock the bar off, it's not going to be because you had a baggy t-shirt on. It's because you knocked the bar off. Okay, so it's not like a case of like a one percenters or anything like that. No. Wow. Okay, so you're at, you're at 2.30 two now. What's the, what's the world record? What's the best in the world? Uh, 2.45 is the best. So it's, it's a wee way away. 
but you're confident you can do it though. I've heard you in interviews saying you can do, go. I you, think you can go ten centimeters higher. I can go two forty. Like I definitely have that in me. So where, I, where does that where does that confidence come from or that self belief? I think it's one of those things. Like I know that like the goods that I've got are different from other guys, but that's my strength. And so those things for me are. I've got a really good knee drive, um, so that's a technical thing. Um, I'm one of the taller guys and one of the sort of heavier guys. That means I'm a lot stronger than a lot of those guys. And so I think, I think from that standpoint, we've got some stuff that we can really sort of hone in on in the next few years and, and sort of make those 10 centimeters happy happen. I, I mean, I think it's just one of those things that I wouldn't be sitting here wanting to keep jumping if I didn't think that I was going to do better. Yeah. Right. So when did you start taking it seriously? When did you start realizing you were quite good or was it a case of like a PE coach shoulder tapping you and saying, Hey, we should focus on this. Was that a school thing or later? I was a bit of a lazy student at school, I should say. Um, I think that it was one of those things where I'd turn up, I'd jump well, I'd run decently and, you know, I, I sort of, I, you know, I went to school and I, I did my thing and all my teachers um, and, you know, in my subjects were always like, oh, he, he did well, but, you know, he probably could have Never applied tried a bit harder, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it was the same for the athletics guys. It was like, oh, Kerr, you know, if you turn up to training, you'd be really good. And I was like, yeah, but see, I don't want to train like this. That was boring. I don't want to wake up. Early. So I think, I think for me, I was sort of very cheeky in that respect and just kind of like just brush it off. So I, yeah, I jumped 208 at the end of school, you know, is that, that, is that I, good for a so yeah, 17, 18? It's pretty good. I, yeah, I won yeah. national, I, I won national secondary schools with that. And so that was, that was pretty good. But then I actually went to uni and gave it away. Um, and yeah, I'm, did, from, I'm from Palmy. Um, so you, you, my condolences. No. So you, <laughs> what were you studying? Um, so I did uh, a BCom in agriculture. Well, you, and you, so you gave it away, so you got to enjoy the full Palmas North Uni experience. Yeah, I just, yeah. like, like I'd grown a lot, and so I was sort of always injured, and high jump was something that I was good at, but it kind of hurt. Um, so, yeah, I just went to uni, and I was like, look, I just want to, like, party for a few years and, and just kind of meet people and just not have the pressure of, like, having to, you know, be accountable to anything or just, just kind of do whatever I wanted. And so I did that, and then... I kind of what, realized, what did you do to keep fit in that time? Because you obviously didn't blow out completely. Uh, like I was really lucky. I actually, I actually teed up an athletics coach um, down there before I moved down there. And then I sort of like, and then I sort of didn't really apply myself once I was down there, but um, she was super, super patient with me. So it was a lady called Ann Thompson and she is a sort of local jumps coach down in Palmy. Um, and she, she was so awesome. Like she probably once every two weeks would just like, send me a text and be like was like look training on these days like just come down no pressure if you don't want to and like half the time i wouldn't even reply to it <laughs> you just, piece of shit yeah pretty much like <laughs> I, I feel sorry sorry i'm yeah. sorry ann sorry um, ann i'm at the brewer's apprentice yeah yeah exactly exactly it's like oh who's this messaging me <laughs> oh it's a girl oh no it's <laughs> yeah so so yeah so that was sort of um but she just kept like whittling away at me yeah i mean i did turn up training a little bit like i i sort of I went to the odd training here and there and actually in my summer between first and second year, I got a job on a farm cause we had to do mm-hmm. sort of like a placement. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We had to do some practical work and that was honestly the best summer ever. Cause I didn't even check the athletics results or anything. I just could not care. Like I was, mm. I was drinking beers and shooting rabbits and just living the farm life, which, which was awesome. And that kept me really fit as well. So I kind of got back into it after having, I actually spoke, um, at the Massey Academy of Sport a couple of times just around my experiences and stuff. And writing them, it made me realise how much I missed it. Mm. Um, and just, just the camaraderie and, and kind of just going down to the track on a sunny day and just hanging out with my mates. It was like, mm. damn, this is so cool. And it was actually funny, like, I had this sort of spate of a, 
you know, it was about a couple of months where I just kept on meeting all these really old people just for various reasons. They're all like, oh, so what do you do? And I sort of said, you know, I'm at uni and I do a bit of athletics as well. I'm like, oh, I used to do athletics. You know, it's like these big fat guys. Like I used to, I used to run hundred meters. I made nationals. And I was just like, oh man, like I do not want to be one of those people. Like, and so that kind of just made me realize I was like, look, if I want to do this, like I kind of have to commit. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be able to sort of sit there when I'm, you know, 80 and my knees and ankles will be absolutely stuffed and I'll just be like, it's all good. Well, you got some, um, well, I was going to say silverware, but like goldware now is like a tangible, mm. you know, sort of bit of proof of, of your achievements. So the university thing, so I suppose there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, there's, um, you know, you could say that those three years, you didn't make any gains. And if you kept working through those three years, you could be at 240 now, potentially. I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I mean, you might, you might be alluding to this and what was going to be your next point, but for me, like I grew up as a person um, and I think that was the massive thing. Like I see so many athletes these days who didn't do that. And now it's like, they're trying to like train and then also like fit in this like partying and like this life that's like not conducive to getting better at athletics. But then also like the athletics is taking away from the social life. And it's like, you know, people are trying to balance all this stuff. Whereas for me, it was great because and like some people can do it, like don't get me wrong, but like for me it was kind of like, look, I could do all that, I blew it all out, and I realized that like it was fun, but you know it wasn't for me. Yeah, I, I wanted yeah. to be an athlete, and so now I'm an athlete, and you know on those hard days and those hard trainings, like when I do question it, because you know everyone questions it. It's you know what the heck am I doing here? Christchurch boys high on a on a five degree morning, like it's just like it sucks. Mm. But it's like you know I I did the bit of my career when i didn't have athletics in it and now i know what it's like and so that's what holds on what i hold on to oh yeah i mean that's probably exactly what i was going to say it's yeah. like um yeah there's sacrifices that you have to make and it was probably good to get that out of your system yeah. rather than potentially be at the age you are now win a gold medal and think that's it i've sacrificed enough and now i'm ready to retire so you get back to it so what year do you get back to it um so, so like four years ago yeah so i fully committed in 2018 that was like the end of my degree I met Terry, who's my current coach, and he, we, like, we just clicked. He was the first guy in New Zealand who had actually kind of removed, like, the whole, oh, you've got amazing potential and, like, you could do this, but we don't really know how to train you. He sat me down. Um, so we were actually on a tour to Taiwan. They had the uni games there, and we, we did sort of, like, four weeks together. And, and he sat me down, and he sort of thought about it for a bit, and he was like, okay, well, I've got two points. He's like, firstly, you're jumping so well, given how shit your technique is. And secondly, you're too fat. And I was just like, whoa, okay. Like, just no can, one can, can, you away, can, can you get away with that? I suppose that like a... He, I didn't say it in that many words, but yeah. like, and he, and he knew that I was someone who could handle that. And I suppose that's the thing. It's like being a good coach is part psychologist. He wouldn't it? be saying that to everybody. That's for sure. Yeah. Like, don't worry about that. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it was just like a breath of fresh air to have someone like tell me how it is seems like a good relationship too i've seen some um interviews online that um, um he's done and he talks about how some days you, you turn up to training in a, in a bad mood or a negative mood and he, he yeah, and sometimes he does too so. <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose that's the thing it's like it's not like um the coach of a rugby team where there's 15 or 15 you know, 25 people there it's like just you and him but it's a big commitment on his part as well, eh? It's a, he's there for you and you're there for him and not, neither wants to let the other one down. At the end of the day, you know, when you're sitting sitting there having a beer after Tokyo or having one com games, like, that is just us there. 
and it is pretty special. Yeah, and, and that, this probably sounds real cheesy, but that gold medal, it's got to feel like it's his as well. Oh, 100%. Like, mm. hey, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's his gold medal. Mm. And it's, it's like last year. It's like that was his Olympics. Oh, how good is that? God, that's so special. Eh? And it must feel so good as an athlete that you, you, can, you, you do it for yourself, but it's also like giving back to him. Oh, 100%. It's like you're always saying thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in the in the program who who I owe a huge amount to, and, mm. and Terry is, is is the biggest one of those. Mm. But it's he's not the only one. There's there's so many guys around me who 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 do put so much into me, and so it it kind of scares me a lot. Like I think about it a lot. It's it's kind of like you know I'm in a position now where where people are invested in this, and, mm. and you know I've got to make the most of that because that's not going to happen for the rest of my life. You know, it's not always going to be like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you've only had two coaches. So you've, you've got the coach got now, and you had the, the Chris uh, who passed away of cancer. Yeah, so I've had a couple, but um, the two big, the the big founding ones would be Anne, the Palmy one, mm-hmm. who who just was super patient with me. Um, Terry, and then yeah, Chris, as you said. So, so Chris, was Chris your secondary like secondary school age coach? Yes, yeah, so he was kind of my first um, serious coach and. And he was great because he he just wanted us to play sport. Like he wasn't like you're a high jumper. He was like you're just an athlete. So if you wanted to go to play rugby on a day where there's training, he was just like yeah, just don't worry about it. And I remember it was funny. Like I always used to have to bike to training. So my mum was like, look, you can play. You know, we'll play. We'll pay the fees. We'll pay the subs. But you got to get yourself there. That was always the thing that that they sort of um, instilled in me. And so, um, and I lived in Mount Eden. Training's in Mount Smart. So it's. You know, it's a pretty... It's a hike. It's a pretty yeah. sizable um, distance to travel. And, and yeah. mum would come and pick me up quite often. So it wasn't like I was going both ways. But yeah, it was still... And I remember I remember mum came to pick me up one day and I was like, oh, I'm going to... Here we go. I'm going to play Chris, like, play Chris off on mum. And so I was like, <laughs> Chris, like, I'd train way better if I, like, had if I didn't bike to training A. Like, you know, mum should, <laughs> mum should drop me off. And he, he just looks at me and he's like, mate, I had to bike... To and from training when I was young, you're getting picked up. Like, stop being such a little like lazy little shit. So, <laughs> you know, and that was what Chris was like. He was like, "Look, like, you're not here to train to be a high jumper. You're just, you're just, you know, growing up. You're just being an athlete." And so it was, that was kind of always his thing. And then, yeah, unfortunately, like, there was one year where I wasn't doing a huge amount of training just because I had some other stuff on. I think I had an injury, and um, so I didn't do any of the club stuff, and so I didn't go down to training much. And I, I still did the secondary school stuff, but. He got cancer sort of at the start of the season and I actually, near the end of the season, I came out and won North Island Championships, which was one of the first big things I'd done and I talked to him really briefly um, via text about it, but he, unfortunately, and I, I was I was, um, I was like, man, he's going to chat to him and just say thanks and stuff and yeah, the next week he was gone, so. How, how he, old was he? Uh, he was 50. Right, how old were you at the time? I would have been sixteen. Was was that your first sort of experience with um, someone you're you're close to dying? Yeah, definitely. Like I think um, it was just super crazy. Like I just felt bad. Like I wasn't really there that much that season, and I'd only seen him a couple of times. And and the times that I had, like he just he was just wasting away. And I mean, he left he left four children behind, and you know, a loving loving wife, and and you know, just a massive hole of all these athletes who who he just loved like his own children and, and just supported us. So it was, it was pretty humbling. Um, I, I will never forget like, the text I got when it happened. Um, I was sitting in, in, I think it was in physics, and, yeah, like my one of my best mates who I used to train with as well, he texted me and he was just like, yeah, Chris Chris has passed away. And it was just like, damn, like it was um, pretty confronting as a child as well, like just to have that happen. So 
I think about him a lot, like even now. I'm here because of him. I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but like when when you reach the pinnacle of your sport and you're like you're standing there with a gold medal around your neck, did he like crop into your mind or oh, of course are you just thinking about just how fucking awesome this moment is? No, I mean he definitely does. Like mm. I think I think that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, when I'm standing up there, I'm not standing up there alone. There's mm. there's so many people in the camp. I think of Chris constantly, and, and he's someone who will always be there for me. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So it's really cool. How, how was school for you? Were you, were you bullied or anything? Or, or were you like, I, I, I sort of find everyone that's on the podcast, <laughs> everyone on the podcast has, has their shit going on. Even people that seem to have the most amazing lives, everyone has their shit going on or everyone's either they they feel bad because they 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 did some bullying at school or they were a bully like no one gets out alive. It's a funny concept, day. Like, and I was thinking about it on the way here, um, just around my childhood and what things I'd say. And it's it's funny you saying that everyone has shit going on because like I remember Mum saying this to me as a, when I was a kid, and and I'll never forget this, and I'll always tell you know all my kids this and everything. And it was like she said to me like because I was just having like a bad day one day, and and she's like, look, if you don't get through your teenage years by being at least a little bit fucked up. Like you're not doing it right. <laughs> and I'll just always remember that. Cause it's like, you know, we, it's just, you've got to learn how to grow up. Like there's just so many things and you've got to work out who you are as a person. I think for me, like, I mean, I always got like, I wasn't disliked and I ended up being a prefect by like, I don't even know how, I think it was probably just cause like I was white and good at sports. So. <laughs> shows, Take shows all the Auckland grammar boxes. Yeah, exactly. What's your family like? So you were one of four. So yeah, so four siblings. Um, then mum, dad, obviously. So so dad's a doctor. He is a cardiologist, and mum is a speech therapist. Growing up, like they, they were always just like I think dad has always been a massive inspiration to me, just because of how hard he works. I, like I didn't see him much when I was growing up, unfortunately. But um, why is that? Oh, just because he was just working, he was so, working hard. so hard. Like. And I, th- I think that was cool, though, because it was like you could tell that it was something that he really loved and, and he found really, really w- rewarding. Mm. And I mean, like, come on, he's he's saving lives. Like, he's literally making like, acid change in people's lives <laughs> yeah. every day. Like, That's a reasonable excuse to miss dinner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, but no, like, all the kids have um, – It's we've all done very different things. Um, my older sister has gone into family trades, so she's a doctor as well. My little sister's studying law, and my little brother's just graduating um, with a – Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. 
Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Computer science degree, so kind of all doing very different things. So you're probably like the black sheep of the family in the respect that you, you probably oh. earn the least money out of them, being oh, a high-performance sports person. Yeah, so yelled. everyone's like, oh, so like what, you know, I'm like, oh, well, we've got the doctor... Granddad's a surgeon, like, sister's a doctor, and <laughs> I jump over stuff. So. But, but I'm, I'm a gold medalist. I'm a gold medalist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to melt it down? Oh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. And there's, um, and you, you were telling me before we started recording, um, so there's, there's a bit of an age gap between um, you and um, your younger siblings who are twins, because your dad had a, a cancer scare. Yeah, so Dom was roasting me, um, saying that my little brother and sister were a mistake, but... Um, well, no, there's a five-year age gap. I asked if they were unplanned. <laughs> yeah, but no, so so um, we were actually... So it was actually interesting. We were living in America at the time, which was actually really lucky because their health system's interesting, to say the least. But um, mm. since Dad was an employee and a doctor, he got, like, five-star care. They got onto it really quickly, and they just literally just threw everything at him. Um, and so, yeah, he came away. He's 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 been cancer-free for you know, my entire life, which is super lucky. But yeah, it meant that having kids was a little bit harder um, after me. So James and Rebecca were IVF. Right. I like to rub in their faces a bit. Life is priceless. <laughs> yeah, 10,000. Cost 10,000 each. So, <laughs> you can't which, put a Which I just always put on them. So yeah. was it, um, is it you, uh, are they biological like, or is it donor sperm? No, so it is so it is dad's sperm um, and it's mum's egg. They're fully part of the family. Right, right. Um, and and yeah, so that's that's also why they're twins. I think it's still quite common, but in the early days of IVF, they had to put quite a few uh, fertilized eggs in mm. just to just to get one to stick. So, um, so obviously two came out. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so we'll go to Tokyo last year for the, the Olympic Games. I mean, you've, I suppose you've got nothing to compare it to in terms of Olympics, but it was it'll go down in history as the shit Olympics, right? It was <laughs> the one where you had masks on, COVID Olympics, testing every day, being socially distanced. What was the expectation for you there? Like, were you were you just happy to be a participant? Yeah, so it was a funny one. Like, we obviously hadn't left the country for a couple of years, and so um, yeah, my build up was kind of a little bit like it wasn't patchy, but it was a little bit uncertain. Like, I didn't really know where I was at. Um, I hadn't competed against any of the big boys for a while, and yeah, so I I went over to Aussie and did a little bit of training over there. Um, and in my last competition. Sorry, I lie. It was actually my second last competition before Tokyo. So it was about three weeks out. I did this competition and I wanted to start at the starting height because quite often it's hard to start at a really high. So I, I obviously mentioned I started about 217 um, in comps. But in New Zealand, I can't start that high because I have to wait for everyone else to go. And you sort of you warm down a little bit and, and there's a bit of time between. So so generally I'd start at sort of like 210. But I knew at Tokyo it was going to start high. And so I was like, okay, this competition – the goal is to start high and just and just see what happens. And so I started at two fifteen, which wasn't even the starting height for the, the Olympics, but it was like because I think I think in the Olympics for the final we started at two nineteen. Oh shit! Um, and yeah, so started at two fifteen, warmed up, felt okay, and then I literally no heighted. So that means I got three misses at two fifteen. You just knock the bar off, so you don't pass any of the jumps. Didn't pass any jumps. Um, just knocked the bar off three times in a row, and and I didn't really know why. It was kind of like, what is going on here? Because um, after, after your first no jump, do you chat to your coach and he says... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and he was kind of like, oh, it just looks off. Like, 
like I think he was a little bit of a loss as well. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a worry if the coach's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it was kind of like, oh, just, you know, because I'm a very rhythm jump, like base jumper. So it's like if my rhythm's not there, then, you know, like I have to do some sort of intervention pretty quickly and some sort of reset. And so, yeah, so I know Hyde and for about a week I just didn't sleep because I was just like, I've forgotten how to jump. Like I don't know what's going on. Um, and I'm going to go to, you know, the biggest event in three weeks time and not even make a height. Like that was for me, that was like at that time, the worst thing that could happen. Like a, like a, a confidence crisis. Oh, absolutely. And it was yeah. just like, you know, like I'm just going to look like an idiot. You know, I just had all these like real rational thoughts in my head. Um, and I literally, yeah, I just, I just wake up and just like, you know, it all just spiral through my head and it was just, yeah, it was horrible. But we actually, so we were in Australia at that time and then we had planned and it was just, that was me, my coach and my girlfriend. So my girlfriend does athletics as well. She's, she's, um, a little bit lower level, but she's sort of coming through. So she was over there with me as well, which was really good. But, um, I was like, maybe there's something going on with my body. And so we were actually really lucky because after that, we were traveling to the US to go and train with Tom Walsh, who has a place in the US, which he bases out of. Um, and there, there was Tom, Lauren Bruce, who's a hammer thrower, and then their coach and our physio. So we share the same physio. So I got there and Tamsin, my physio, just kind of sat me down, had a look at my body and and there wasn't a balance. There was something going on with my sacrum. Um, What's a sacrum? So it's it's kind of like very lower back. Okay. Um, it's kind of like, it's sort of like you can feel like you've got your your um, your sit bone kind of right, like the bottom right. of your, and it's kind of like there's two little bumps just you, above it. You didn't have any pain or anything? No pain. No. Um, it was just, it was just jammed. Um, just from just from training, um, and I hadn't seen her for a while, and so no one had really picked up on it. Um, and so she got that she got that working again, and she she's really good. She loves a, a good philosophical discussion, and and I I admitted to her that you know I was I was very worried about going to the Olympics, and she sort of challenged me on that, and she was like, you know, what's she was like, what's the worst thing that could happen going to the Olympics? And I was like, no hiding, knowing that she was probably going to prove me wrong. Um, but I was like, well, for me right now, I feel like not hiding would be the worst. And she's like, going to the Olympics and not trying your hardest would be like the worst thing that you can do. Mm. If you know height, like who cares? If you have actually like, you know, if you've given it your all, you've done all the prep you need to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the result will just, it'll either happen or it won't. But that's, that's not something that, that that's you can great, worry about. That's great advice, isn't it? So that's your physio. Yes, yeah, so that's my physio. Right, so you, you don't need a sports psychologist. You've got um, you've got like a two and one. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah, it's 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 great. Like, and that's that's so what how, I mean. How much, how much of it is? How much of um, like what you do is mental? Like, oh, it's, uh, it's a lot of it's mental. I, think, I suppose the idea if you're in like a flow state, you're not even thinking about what you're doing. Are you just no? And the thing for us is like, it's it's not like it's not like running where you you don't necessarily know what pace you're on. Or I mean, obviously, you know, you can check your watch or something. But it's like for us, like. We stand there, our name gets announced, and we look at the bar and we go, I'm either going to clear that and I'm on to the next round or I don't. Like, that's it. And so it's kind of like like it can be pretty intense at times. And so if you're not in that, that positive mindset or, you know, the mindset which is going to enable you to do well, then then you will get kicked out the back. Mm. And and so that's something that is something that I have to deal with constantly. <laughs> How do you – what, have you got any, like, techniques or – tricks or tips like how how do you stay um like mentally positive and focused 
I just remind myself of the bigger picture. Mm. Um, I love competing and I love like the singularity of like being in a competition and nothing else matters. But at the same time, like when things are going bad, I remind myself that I guess the thing is, is like if I know how to do a competition or if I do badly, like I'm still alive and yeah, it's you know, the end of the, my end appearance of the, is still, they still yeah. love me. And, and you know, I still live in a country where we have, you know, very little, you know, war or, or massive things going on, like, like places like Ukraine, which was something mm. that I was thinking about a lot this, this year. And it's kind of like, you know, we're still really lucky. Um, and so it sort of just puts in perspective for you. You're also like, if you, if you know, jump, you're, you're not going to be required to do any interviews. You're not going to get any oh, media great. time. You go under the radar. Like the, probably the worst thing that could happen would be if you jump and you, the bar lands on your testicles and you hurt your nuts. Yeah. Then you're going to be memed and go viral. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> and like, get a no jump. Impale yourself. And then like, everyone's <laughs> laughing at you. Your so, pants ripped. <laughs> so, um, I think I read this in a, I read this in a book or sort of in one of the all black movies like Dan Carter or Richie McCaw or something. So they've got this, um, sports psychologist called Gilbert and Oka, and uh, he taught them a thing called red red blood, red brain blue brain. They all got have little techniques of how to reset. Like mm. um, I think Richie McCord just retied his shoelaces or touched his foot yeah, or touched the ground and yeah, like that. yeah 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 that's the one. Have have you got a thing like that? So if you do a no jump, have you got a, a way that you yeah? So we call it um, we call it step back, step up, step in, um, and that's so you step back from the situation, you assess it, you work out what you need to do to step up. And then you reset back in and then you forget about all that other stuff and you just go for it. But one of the ways that I used to step back, so that's sort of like the, cause that's the hardest bit is, is trying to remove yourself from that situation. Um, what I do is I actually just look at what people are wearing in the crowd. Um, so I'll be sitting there and I'll just be like, Oh yeah, that chick's got like, you know, red pants on and his blue hat and that guy looks like an idiot. And you know, that's, that's my way of kind of like removing myself. And then I'll talk to my coach. I'll work out what we need to change. I'll visualize it. I'll, I'll visualize it in two ways. I'll visualize it from me and I'll visualize it from me on the side looking at me. And then I step back in. I don't worry about any of it. Because how, how long is the gap between jumps? Um, it can be a while sometimes. Um, well, well, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? 30. Yeah, it can be 10 minutes sometimes. Right. So yeah, 10 minutes is probably about the standard. If you've just like destroyed yourself on a second attempt and you've only got one left, and you don't know what you're doing, it can be a very long 10 minutes. <laughs> so it's, it's a strange sport, eh, in the respect that um, like all your training is done in the corner of the school sports field, you and your coach and a couple of others, um, but never any crowds, always silence. And then here you are on these world stages getting to jump and you're hyping the crowd up like you want that noise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the cool thing about competing is that you can you can hone this, this craft and this skill in quite a controlled environment and then go out and just express it. So yeah, that's something that now, you know, this year having quite a few big events and then leading on to the next sort of few years with the, the world opening up again, it's, it's something that's kind of reinvigorated my mm. kind of experience of the sport as well, because, mm. you know, you go to somewhere like Tokyo and, and we weren't used to crowds. So like, it was kind of like, Oh yeah. Like this is kind of just reminds me of a New Zealand competition, but Oh now, yeah, because there was no one in the group. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. <laughs> you know, whereas now it's like if I went back there, yeah, yeah I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's just like nationals. Yeah, cause it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because then there's sports like tennis and uh, tennis and say golf, for example, yeah. and that they need absolute concentration to serve and to and to tee off, um, and any noise is off putting. But it's yeah. like. Um, I suppose with track and field, there's so much going on. Like there could be people running around you, javelins flying around, yeah. all sorts going on. But that's that's the great thing about our sport is that, like, you bring the noise, and you know, as a spectator, you can go there and you might not know what's going on, but like, just 
just go for it, like cheer and just just get amongst mm. it. Whereas you go to a golf, you know, I mean, you go to some some golf tournaments, you have to wear a dress code. It's like mm. it's crazy. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, speaking of the golf thing, so you um, <laughs> what was the reset thing before? Step back. Step up, step in. Yeah, and you said you you just look at people in the crowd and, and think about what they're wearing and stuff. But at, at the Commonwealth Games where you won gold, I saw a footage of you like practicing your golf swing. Yeah, like doing doing an air <laughs> swing. Where did that fit into that picture? Oh, that was just again, like I said, like if you have ten minutes between jumps, you can't be focused that whole time. And that's something that I love about our sport as well. Is is, is like I said. At school, I was trying to get away with as little as possible. High jump is a lazy event. You do, you know, you do eight jumps and you're out there for two two hours. So we, yeah, yeah. you know, I get to watch all the all the you know all the track events. I get to cheer for all the the, the Kiwis who are going past me, and and that's something that I that's cool. I really tend to as well. So yeah, whatever I can do to pass the time, I'll I'll do. So so the Olympics, you finished tenth. Uh, is, is that the best in New Zealand has ever done in high jump? No. Don't quote me on the female yeah. side of it, but yeah. it's definitely the best a male's done because we've only had – I was only the second male to make the Olympics. Um, wow. And he didn't make the final. And, and that was that was the thing for me is that first things first, I wanted to make a height because obviously I was worried about no hiding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I did that and I was like, sweet, pressure's off. Um, and then for me it was like if I made the final, like I'm done. Like I don't I don't care what happens. Like, yeah, that's so cool. And that was a real memorable one. Eh? What, what happened with um, gold and silver? Yeah, it was a joint so gold situation. Was, yeah, yeah. So, so um, that was a crazy thing as well. Is I was you know five meters away from that, just watching it unfold. And so, essentially, um, what happens in high jump is there's a countback system. So, if two people clear the final height on the same attempt, so say like two thirty, me and Bob both clear it on our second attempts, and then we don't clear the next height, then what will happen is that it will go to the height before that. And if I got that first attempt and Bob got a second attempt, then I win. But if we both got on first attempt, then it goes back to total misses. Right. And the person who's missed less heights is the winner. And then if that is the same, then you'll go to something called a jump off. And so what happens in a jump off is that they clear the final height or they attempt the final height one more time and then they go down two centimetres. They both get a jump at that down two centimeters both get a jump at that and down two centimeters until someone clears it and someone doesn't but and that's always just been a given like you mm. know you just do that Basham the Qatari and Tamberi the Italian were both they were both so tired by the end of it like it'd been a four hour competition which is just like absolutely like mammoth neither of them were looking like anywhere close to clearing the last height so it was kind of like it was going to come down to someone jumping so they both cleared 237 it was going to come down to like one of them scraping over like 233 or something, which was just going to be like, you know, you could tell that like neither of them wanted that. Like Tamberi before the comp, he said to everyone, like I, was, like I was talking to him and he just said like, look, I just want to jump high today. Like that's all I care about doing. So he'd done that. And Basham has got like this amazing legacy of like all these amazing jumps and he wasn't in that shape, but he had gotten to a you know, position where he was in first place. And they're both best mates as well, mm. which is the – that's the thing that I find is so fitting about it is that these are two guys who don't know each other from bar of soap. They, you know, they barely speak the same language, um, and they come from completely different, you know, cultural backgrounds. Yeah, and yet they met because of high jump, and they're in this position where the official said to them, "You've got the option to do a jump off," and they went, "Well, like, 
do we have to? And he's like, <laughs> that was like, that was what they said. They were like, well, do we have to? And he's like, well, and this was great by the officials part because like a lot of officials are real. Like they'll be Stop like, nah, nah yeah. you have to. Whereas he like, he knew the rules and he was like, you don't actually have to. And mm. so they both looked at each other and they're like, and then they're like, yeah, sweet. And then it's just oh, like, that's so cool. Yeah. And it was, it was crazy because it was like, Sitting there watching it and kind of like being a fan of the sport, it made sense to me, like because of the reasons I've listed, like because, you know, these two completely different guys, mm. like they both jumped really high, like they both jumped as high as each other and they weren't going to jump higher. So like for me, I was kind of just like, oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and then I kind of got off and then like got on my phone and it was just like, poof, it was just like blowing up and I was just, I did not expect that. It was, it was kind of quite sort of epitomized what, what the Olympics is, I think, the Olympic spirit yeah. in a way. It was, really it was super polarizing as well, though, which I thought was super fascinating. I mean, it was was cool. it like, in, in, in the respect that they should have fought to the death? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people who, who thought that. But at the same time, I'm like, look, you guys are talking about high jump. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so that, that was the, um, the, the, the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And then, um, and then we've uh, got the Commonwealth Games this year. So... After finishing 10th in Tokyo and exceeding, I suppose there's the relief that you didn't know jump and then exceeding all expectations that you had on yourself and everyone else had on you, then do you start thinking, that's it, I want to win a fucking medal? Yeah? Yeah, so the massive thing was after that, um, so I obviously went down to Christchurch in 2018 and the goal was to get through to Tokyo and then Tokyo happened and suddenly we're talking about two more Olympic cycles and I was like, whoa, okay, like, sign me up. Like, that sounds amazing. Like I've had mm. such cool few years and I really want to do it. So, so everything then started gearing towards Paris because, because I, f- I felt like I was in a position where I could win. Um, and so this year was kind of like, let's take the opportunity to go overseas and like, just live on the road because you know, that's, that's what you have to do as an athlete. It's kind of not really sustainable doing like one big competition a year and then just going back to New Zealand for like 10 months to train. Like some people will do it, but I can't do that. I need other competitions and stuff. And so it was like, look, the world's open. Just get over there and see what it's like living over there and see what you can learn. Um, and so that was kind of like the, the goal for this year was was to do that. And like I said, put it in perspective. We're working on a three-year plan now and this is the first year of it. So mm, so going into the Commonwealth Games, were you, were, you, were you feeling confident? Were you feeling like you were a medal chance, you and your coach? Yeah, yeah, we'd kind of we'd talked about it um, earlier in the year, and for us it was kind of like, where do we want to peak? And I kind of thought that we could hold a peak from World Champs all the way through, and I think we probably still could, but because there was a couple of things that happened earlier in the year which pushed my preparation out a little bit. Um, I got COVID and then had quite a sort of a long recovery after that. I actually got to World Champs, and I, I, I said to Terry afterwards, I was like, I feel like I'm – two weeks away from being ready and thankfully com games was two weeks later and yeah i knew that i knew that i was good for a medal you yeah. still need a lot to go right though don't you You still need a lot to and, go and right. in the in the back of your mind even though you knew you were right for the medal was there still that sort of like like niggly fear of no jumping oh 100 yeah. i mean i i still every time i go to a big competition and it's it's getting less now that i do more big comps but like i'm just like what happens if i forget how to jump am i gonna remember is that like a dream you have sometimes? You wake up in the night and Oh, all the time. Like every every time I do a big competition, there is a part of me that goes like, I don't know if I'm even gonna be able to take off today. Because sometimes in training there are days where you're like that. Mm. Um and so it's kind of like yeah, every time I go out there, it's like, oh, you look so cool and relaxed and stuff. And it's like most of the time I'm actually just like I'm so nervous and mm. just shitting myself. But 
Yeah, it usually goes right, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I know, no, and it went very right. Um, so who was there with you? Your, your, your coach was there, obviously. What about your, your parents, your yeah. siblings? Yeah, so my, my parents came over, um, and then my girlfriend's granddad, he was actually in Europe um, at the time, and so he came over and, and watched as well, which is cool. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I, he was sort of like, oh, I'm in France. And I was like, oh, you want to come to Birmingham? And he's like, when is it? Like, I'll come. And so he just like, Turned up, which was sick. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. How long have you and your girlfriend been together? Um, about a year and a half now. Right. And you said she's into athletics, not not quite at that Com Games, Olympic Games level yet, but what, what does she do? Um, so she's a heptathlete, which right. which is kind of like what How you do. How many events is that? So it's seven. Yeah, it's what you do if you're um, not good at one event. You're going to have to do all of them. <laughs> oh, but. no, the, the <laughs> heptathlon and the decathlon are crazy. Oh, it's gnarly, honestly. Like, it's the marathon of field events and like mm. of power events. So, yeah, it's it's pretty intense, but means she does a lot of training and, and I'm lucky that she pushes me in training as well, which is cool. Yeah. How did you guys make it just through sport? Yeah. Well, we actually trained in the same, um, same squad together. Um, the old don't screw the crew didn't apply there. Unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So we met through then. And- yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Does she, uh, like when you're having those moments where it's a couple of days before a competition and you're freaking out, is she the person that you ring that can sort of talk you down and yeah. remind you that you've done the work and. Yeah. And it's cool because like she, she understands it as well from like a, you know, from a, a certain level. And, um, and I think as well, like she, it's like after, after Tokyo, like her and a bunch of um, our mates were kind of like, just saying like, they're like, Hamish, we're like, we're so glad that you like, you did well. Cause otherwise you would have been so grumpy, <laughs> you know? So like, that's, that's kind of where they're at with it. It's like, yeah, they, yeah. they want me to do well because I want to do well. But they kind of don't really mind. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, what do they mean exactly? So, so if you um, if you had a complete shatter at the Commonwealth Games, how long would you be grumpy for before you can, you know, oh, put, draw a line on the sand and move on? I would claim that I would I would wouldn't be grumpy for very long. But <laughs> I think I think naturally as an athlete, um, you'd be upset for oh, sure, hundred yeah. percent. Like I mean, you don't. It's spend, a lot of work that goes into it. Exactly. You don't you don't want to spend all those hours doing the training and then and then to not happen. Mm. But I mean, look, that's the thing though. It's, that does happen. You know, there are there are a lot of times where I have failed. There's there's like I said, there's a number of meets that, that I've no hided and, and we've kinda of planned for things and they've never really eventuated, but um maybe I deal with them in my mind quite well, but from an outside view, maybe not so much. But <laughs> don't talk to Hamish <laughs> yeah, today. Exactly. Like, well, watch out, he's coming. <laughs> yeah. And did your girlfriend get jealous of your bromance with Sam Tanner? Ah, um, Sammy. Um, Sam, I, I follow you. You both on Instagram, and yeah. uh, you, God, you guys, you guys were inseparable at uh, the Commonwealth Games. Well, it was she's super lucky. So. um my girlfriend actually knows Sammy really well, so um, this is Sam Tanner, by the way, the fifteen hundred meter. Where, where did he finish? He had a hell of a run at the Commonwealth Games, didn't medal, but he was there. So he came sixth, um, the happiest sixth place getter ever. The crazy thing is, so like he has run, he'd run three thirty four going into that, and then he ran three thirty one in the final, so a three second PB, which is unreal in high uh, oh, in, in fifteen hundred meter. Like and it's an insane pace, it's oh, ridiculous. It's, so that's that that meet. Him coming sixth and running three thirty one—that's like one of the most stacked races ever. Yeah, and to have that happen in the Com Games is like, it's just unreal. So yeah, so it was really cool. Like, um, just him being there, and he, we actually travelled a lot together um, that year. We just happened to be doing a lot of the same comps. So, so have you known each other for a while? Um, we've got to know each other quite well this year. Yeah, um, but I knew him through you know through Tokyo and stuff. He's a bit younger than me, so I, was, I sort of feel like his dad sometimes. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like the young, excitable child. <laughs> We'll give him a call, see if he's Here on the phone. Go. Pick up, Sammy. Good timing. 
Sam Tanner, g'day. What are you up to? Oh, good. I'm just. I'm glad I assumed the right person there. I'm um, just sitting at the top of the mount with my wife. Hey. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's top nice. of the mount with his wife. Um, it's hard life, isn't it? Geez, um, Hamish is getting very, very jealous. Uh, missing out. He would love to be sitting on the top of the mountain watching the sunset with you. <laughs> Well, mainly, oh, yes, maybe with his wife, but I don't know about him. Yeah, with, with my wife instead of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just talking about, um, I just brought up how you guys seemed inseparable at the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> uh, well, yes, we were a little bit, weren't we, Hamish? Did you tell him um, about that thing, bro? Oh, nah, was I supposed to? Oh, oh maybe not for, for nah. the podcast. Well, hey, yeah, you Melissa. Well, you, have, you have to now. Melissa and Maddie might get a bit gutted with that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, true, maybe. Oh, yeah, mate. Uh, <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe there, was, there was that one, bro, but what about that other one that we were talking about? Oh, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Okay, oh, this is fake news now. <laughs> I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with that one, Dom. You can uh, some... Are you there? Oh, yeah. So there, you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your phone just cut out. He's like, oh, oh sorry. sorry. Oh, all right, all right. Driving into a tunnel. All right, hey, see you, Sammy. <laughs> Alright, see you later. Bye. Was he any stories there or no? Was he just was he just pulling my leg? <laughs> nah, he was just pulling your leg. Um, so who did you room with over there? Did you have a roommate? No, so I didn't. But um, we were kind of in an apartment with uh Tom, so Tom Walsh, shop yep, putter, shop putter, and legend, Geordie Beamish, who's a five k runner. He's oh, a yeah. Kiwi, but he's based in um the states. So yeah. Two guys I get along with really well, which was nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the um the stuff that you shared on Instagram, actually, both you and Sam, the the New Zealand like games for Ligeria looked amazing. I think that was something that like really made the games experience for me was like how well the New Zealand team and New Zealand Olympic Committee um made us feel like we were at home. So they were actually really lucky. They they knew somebody who was on the board of the Edge Baston Golf Club. So we were staying at the Birmingham University, which is like two hundred meters away from the golf club. Um, and they, they knew someone there and so they got onto them real early and we were like, look, you know, the Com Games is here in a few years. Like, can we, can we use the golf club as like a, um, like, as a, like base. a base? Yeah. So, so we literally had to just wander up the road and we were right there. I mean, the Aussies and even the Brits, like they didn't have something like that. They had to go like 20 minutes into town and they just had like a couple of tents set up in the middle of, you know, the, the game sort of village. Um, but yeah, we were able to go there and they had, like heaps of kiwi food and like drinks and just just everything that kind of made us just feel like like we're at home and and you know spectators and parents and media and stuff they all kind of congregated there um, whenever there were big big events happening so yeah that's so cool yeah it was awesome and like the great thing is we were able to go out in the golf course as well and hit a few balls which was nice do so. you go all right I'm a bit of a hack. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could tell from the swing that you were doing while you're waiting for your jump. <laughs> no, no, I couldn't. It's changing a bit. No, nah, nah, I love golf. Like it's it's um, it's a massive part of my downtime. Like I played probably too much to be honest, but um, but no, I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's cool. What else? What else do you do outside of jumping? Um, I'm doing a little bit of study at the moment. Um, so I'm doing a I'm doing like a diploma in psychology, right? Um, just to kind of keep the brain ticking over. Um, and then I do sort of a little bit of speaking through the Olympic Committee mm. um, at primary schools and stuff, just to share the Olympic values and, and kind of share the love as well. So that's, that's cool. Um, how do you find the, how do you find the uh, diploma in psychology? I, I, I've, I've thought about doing some study like that. I'd love to do that. It's a grind day. Eh? Like honestly, is that like, actually? yeah, I like, it's like, I love the content. Like it's, it's not the content's problem. It's like, it's me. Like just, I took it on thinking that I'd have the time, but I think like the amount of like mental energy invested into my sport nowadays, like now that I'm, you know, traveling and, and kind of doing it full time. It's just 
like the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is like pick up the books, eh? But once I do and like I get into a concert, <laughs> I was like I'm like, oh, why don't I do this before like the assignment is due in an hour? <laughs> yeah, but what, um, there's, there's no shame in pulling out of something though, I think. If, if, you, if you sign up to something and it, it turns out it's not right for you, I think it's quite empowering in some ways to go, you yeah. know what, this isn't right for me. I'm gonna yeah, so I actually did, I did that this year. Um, at the start of the semester, I was on, I did two papers um, and I pulled out of one of them um, when I was overseas. I just, I just couldn't do it. And I felt so guilty at the time because I was like, oh, you know, like I've never really done that before, but like, once I did it, and once I realised that, like, it was actually all good. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you do feel guilty, or even like almost a little bit of shame. I guess, like, you're a failure or something. Yeah. But, um, there's something quite empowering in, in doing it. Yeah, hundred percent. Generally, how's your mental health been? Like, obviously, there's the um, anxiety and stress that comes with um, high pressure sport, and we've talked about this before, like just the stressing out about no jumping. But um, outside of that, mostly good. Yeah, mostly good. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that um, I'm very lucky. I've always had people around me who have really like supported me to just be open. Um, and I think that that's something that is really, really powerful. Um, I always think that, you know, it's, you're not weak to speak out. You're actually really mm. strong. That's, that's something that is very admirable and something that, that I would, you know, I encourage all my mates to, you know, have those chats and, mm. and cause you make, it makes you feel so be- so much better if there's something sort of nagging on your mind. And oh, 100%. it's just like, you know, if you can, if you can actually just touch someone and, I think for me, like my experiences with, with, you know, feeling down and all the rest of it, you always just feel so lonely. Mm. Um, and then once you actually chat to someone about it, you realize that there are, there are other people who, who could be going through similar things. And mm. if you can go through those things together then that actually makes a, makes a massive difference. So yeah, where, where did that come from, from you? Is that just the way you were raised with your parents to be like just open and not afraid to show some vulnerability? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, like I've always <laughs> known from a very young age that like my mum um, you know, my mum has had depression pretty much her whole life. And yeah, that was just yeah. something that was really normalized for us. Like, mm. you know, she, she was just like, look, like, you know, this is, this is how it is. Like, I mean, we're out, my family has got, uh, you know, a history of mental health and, and, and that's something that I don't think we really let define ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. we just kind of, we kind of deal with it and just, and just, you know, have a, have an amazing support team around us to, to kind of work through that. So, yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Like, I know that you know, it's it's not if those days happen; it's when those days happen. Yeah. Um, I know that there's people I can pick up the phone and chat to, which which just makes a massive difference. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. How, how bad is it for your mum? Like, does she have periods where she just doesn't want to get out of the bed? No, no, it's not. Like, which, and that's does she thing, manage like, it quite well. It's probably like, I mean, like obviously, I, I don't want to like you know speak for my mum or anything, yeah, but yeah. it's like one of those things that like she she deals she deals with it so well um mm. you know she's she's been getting help for a while and and you know she never really let it impact the way that she brought us up or anything so i think that was something that you know that that was what i found really inspiring was that you know there was all the stuff happening in the background which i didn't really know was happening um until you know a few years later when you know now i i talk to my mom about those stuff that stuff a lot more and kind of realized like you know the extent to it so it's it's just super why did she just sort of shield it from you guys yeah yeah Yeah. like she 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 had her support network um and you know we weren't at an age where where we could probably be a part of that Mm. um and and so you know she was focused on on the good and the the bringing us up with the with you know the morals and the values that she wanted us to kind of portray in our lives and and then there became a time when when that became more of a two-way street mm. yeah so i think that's really cool is i know that you know 
they'll pick up the phone and talk to me and I'm, I'm doing the same. So yeah, yeah oh, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's good to have those conversations. So I'm, I'm, yeah. um, I'm older than you and um, it, you'd always just be as um, tough as what you could and as closed as what you could, yeah. especially going to a, a school like Palmerstoth Boys High School. Cause um, if you show any sort of vulnerability, it could be weaponized against you. Yeah. hundred percent. So no, I found just, that at school as well. Did like, you? It was like, I, I like know of people who like, had things happening in their lives which they just didn't tell anyone until mm. they left school like like there was one point where there was like a couple of people who it wasn't in my year it was a couple of years above me but like essentially they like left school and they came out as um as being homosexual right, like right. pretty much straight away and like and they pretty much said they were like we didn't feel comfortable doing that at school and it was like for me i was just like man like i understand where you're coming from like but I reckon that's just so sad, and and I think that that culture has changed a lot since since I left. But oh, probably seismically, I'd say, over, yeah. like over the last ten years. Yeah. But yeah, when I went to school, like um, yeah, this is like late eighties, early nineties. It was like everyone was called a homophobic slur every day. Yeah, everyone was a, a fucking fag or a fucking yeah. homo. Or yeah, which is just like so. If you uh, and I, I look back now, and I think, um, okay, the, you know, a thousand boys at the school. You'd assume maybe 100, 150, 200 of them were gay. Yeah. Imagine how awful that is. Yeah, and it's so sad. Like, a lot of those people probably have never come out. Because of that, the way I look at it is, if there's anything that's, like, dragging me down um, and there's any of those sort of things nagging me at the back of my mind and I can't be at peace with all of those, then when the pressure comes on and those big, you know, those big jumps and those big moments, not just in athletics, but, you know, in anything in your life, like, they will be exposed and they will bring you down. Yeah. So you kind of have to know that, those rocks have been have been you know taken care of, and yeah. you you can't function as a human if if you're trying to carry around all this stuff. Which actually, there are people in your life who'll be happy to take it for a while. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That, that's one thing that I, str- I struggle with because I think um I get I get validation from uh, like within my family for being the being the fixer or being yeah. the go-to guy, yeah, being yeah, the yeah, solution yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do find it hard to sit back and say, um, you know, I'm not doing great at the moment. Can yeah. you go? Which Can is you? which is dumb. It's completely dumb because no one's mm. no one's no one's ironclad, are they? No, absolutely not. Like I think the more we just talk about it, and the more we realise that everyone is just going through all the same stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty special. Oh man, that's one of the takeaways I've got from doing this podcast this year. Everyone is carrying around a bag of shit. It's just how, how big that bag of shit is. Absolutely, and like you know, that's the same with everyone on tour. I mean, mm. all the all the great athletes that I know, it's it's like it's almost like they're the ones who've been able to deal with it. It's not like they're the ones who don't have it. It's like everyone's got it. And what makes you a great athlete or a great person or a great human is is actually working on ways and how you can how you can like just live with that, yeah, and be okay with it. Have you? Um, oh, I mean, this is years away, so you probably haven't even thought about about this yet, but. Um, like he, I, I had, um, I recorded a conversation with um, Joseph Sullivan the other day, who yep. was uh, he won a gold medal in rowing in 2012. Yep. Uh, then he became a, f- a firefighter, and he's won a couple of America's Cups since then. Um, but he kind of got shafted after 2012, and that's why he didn't make it back to the Olympics in 2016, and sort of fell into a, I suppose, post-career depression for a bit. Like, are you worried about that? Like, you know, the, when the point comes where you're no longer Hamish the high jumper? Yeah, I think, I think uh, massively. Like, I think that. Um your your image and who you are as a person um, is is very much attached to who you are as an athlete a lot of the time. And that's something I've actually had to deal with because being a uni student and having all these other things on the go at once, when I actually fully committed, I was like, I don't know if I want to just be that one person. Um, and so I've actually had to take quite a few years to actually get around to 
like this is the first year I've actually like if someone says like what do you do like high jump will be what I tell them. even even you know going into the Olympics and and sort of directly after the Olympics it was like oh you know like I kind of do a bit of study and oh and I do a bit of sport as well it was like you know I'm I'm actually okay with owning that image now but mm. yeah it's going to be an interesting one like I think that things have changed a little bit um, since 2012 like I think that the the well-being of athletes is is starting to to get looked after quite a lot better um, but at the same time once you go on it's like that's a massive hole in your life to fill. Yeah, completely. That's completely. Especially, especially. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, sorry for bringing it up. You've still got two more Olympics. I'm going to have to be a weekend warrior, mate. I'm going to have yeah. to have big <laughs> just, runs every day. And just... Oh, just every now and then for validation, wander <laughs> yeah. around with the medal on. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah. Go to like school athletics meets with the medal on. Back in my day. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it, I suppose in some ways, like it's even harder the more successful you are because you've gone from the, like, the heights of, you know, being on the top of a podium yeah. Um, so from that level of success, yeah, but I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah, and I think Seems it's like you've got a lot going on. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. It's like if you if you're going to define yourself by who you are as an athlete rather than who you are as a person, mm. and I define myself a lot more by who I am as a person. Like that's who I think of when I think of who I am. If you are very athlete focused, which a lot of athletes are, some people would argue you have to be. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm not committed enough. I don't know. But it's like if you're more focused on that side, then you'll actually probably just find the thing that you're, you know, you want to be interested in and, and kind yeah. of develop through there. Whereas if you, if you've only ever known who you are as an athlete, you know, from a very young age, you've always just played sport. Yeah, it's pretty confronting, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that medal, where where is it? Is it at your parents' house or? It's in Christchurch. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Whereabouts in Christchurch? It's in my flat. And I do know where it is. Um, <laughs> like, and it, please tell me it's not in a drawer. It's somewhere visible, right? Well, see, that's that's what. So at the moment, um, I've got it hidden. Oh, you've not in a. Is it in a drawer? But the thing is, so this is the thing. Like, I don't know. Like, if if it got stolen, I'd be gutted. You know, that's you like can't replace things. them, can you? Ah, see, I don't think you can replace them, and so it's kind of like one of those things. Like, I almost don't know if I want to display it. as like as much as I want to. Like, I've got this. I've got this thing that hung up. I've got the number. I've got it. You know, that's that's yeah, all. Yeah. That's all done, and that's that's all very visible. But the medal itself, like, I think that. It just means so much to me. I've never really been attached to medals before or anything, but it's like that one medal, if I lost that, man, I'd be gutted at it. I've heard about lotto winners that, um, that you know, win lotto and they're so stressed out about what to do to the ticket, they tape it to their body until they can go and cash it in. Why <laughs> so don't I'd you just it. wear the medal? <laughs> yeah, I'll just wear it around. I'm sure everyone would love that. No like, one will think oh. you're a dick. Here he comes with the bloody medal. It was eight years ago, mate. Wins one medal, and he's. <laughs> oh no, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's really actually really nice to really nice to hear that it does mean that much to you. That's oh. really cool. It would be a shit house thing to steal. It means nothing to nobody, right? And it's not actually worth. Oh, there's no be value out there. I reckon. Hey, there'd be someone out there who would just do that. But man, yeah, I, I don't understand that. Mm. I don't no, understand yeah. that. Hey, it's been wonderful sitting down with you today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, I really, really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, it's, it's as I said before, like you make high jump fun to watch. Like you make it look graceful and easy. And I think it's a sport that if you can watch a sport on TV that you don't know, like whether it's golf or tennis or high jump, whatever, and it looks easy. I think that's because the people that are doing it are real good. Well, hopefully, lots of people think it's easy and come along and, <laughs> and see how hard and it try. Is. Yeah, yeah. So we have a few more people at nationals or something. It'll be good. Oh, that's great. <laughs> no, best of luck with what's next. Hopefully, um, hopefully onwards and upwards at the uh, the next Olympic Games in Paris. Yeah. Um, and good luck with the psychology papers as well. Thank you. I'll need it. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Hamish Kerr. 
Hey, quick favour, if your podcast platform allows, please rate this podcast or write a review for it. And if you like what you hear, please recommend it to a mate or two who you think may like it. Word of mouth is, in my opinion, the most effective form of marketing there is. Also, it's the cheapest as well, way cheaper than digital billboards and things. Any feedback, guest tips, sponsorship inquiries or anything else, please do get in touch. DomHarveyNZ at gmail.com is my email. Or you can find me on Instagram, DomHarveyNZ. All right, thank you so much for joining me. Hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.